Welcome to the Swaplix Podcast. My name is Brandon Day. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swampflix. I've got nothing to talk about up top, to be honest. <laughs> As we're recording this, I'm like a day away from going to Overlook Film Festival for four Ooh, days. Yeah. It's my favorite festival in New Orleans. Um, every year it happens. I feel like I'm looking around like, is this real? Is yeah. anybody paying attention to this? I always expect they're going to find a cooler place to go the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like they just like coming here. To hang out in the haunted hotels and yeah. eat the delicious foods. Yeah. And then hang out at Britannia Canal Place for four days watching like the best horror movies of the year. Yeah. I, I love it so much. New Orleans has a vibe. Yeah. And I'm glad that the Overlook recognizes the vibe to come and hang out in our um, various balconies, haunted balconies. <laughs> and you would think like Britannia Canal Place, which was what it is now, uh, right. would be like a weird locale for it. But I will say... Going to late night movies there and then coming out to this empty mall with like no one else it's around. So terrifying. Eerie. Just these like escalators running for no and then one. And you go to your car <laughs> in the dark parking garage. Like, yeah. <laughs> Extra spooks on the way out. Do they do they do any showings at the other at the Britannia like flagship? Yes, location? I feel like the opening night movie plays there. Maybe a couple other okay. special screenings. Yeah, and this year it's Anna Lily Amapour's new film, and she did like Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Yeah, and um, Bad Batch. The new one's called Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Okay. I could talk about all the movies I'm going to go see for so long, <laughs> so I probably shouldn't rattle these off. But yeah, I'm always excited for this every year. Amazing, and I'm sure we'll do some kind of podcast wrap up of that later. Cool. What else have y'all been watching besides these horror movies <laughs> that are? Not happening yet, but will be happening by the time people hear this. <laughs> I went to the theater last week. I went to the Broad and watched um, Inland Empire. Ooh, Ooh. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was going to be about. And I was at home. I got off of work. I was exhausted. And my brother was in town. And he's like, I'm going to watch Inland Empire. They're playing at the Broad. Do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I get there. And it is a fucking three-hour ball of insanity mm-hmm. yeah. and it was such a interesting experience i didn't love it and i didn't hate it i hate it i'm kind of in the <laughs> middle with it where i i was just like just engulfed by it and i'm like what is this mm-hmm. and the experience was interesting just this silent like no one in the theater moved at all like no one peed and then i started focusing i'm like who's gonna leave to pee We've been here for three hours <laughs> and like no one even shifted like right. their bodies. Everybody was just frozen watching this like crazy town movie. And I, I love, 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 love Laura Dern. Yes. Um, And I loved her in this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great. Like I could watch her making a scary crying face over and over again and that's kind of like what this movie was it was like zoom in of her face making it blurry and zooming out and then her body getting all morphed and shit and nightmarish she's got a great like rubber band mouth when she gets sad her like yes she does droop to the to the floor the bottom of the ocean yeah so um sounds like everybody has an opinion on inland empire I just have a very strongly <laughs> negative one. It's like one of the ugliest movies I've ever seen. Like even this restoration that you watched is like yeah. an absurd performance art thing where like it's a 4K restoration of a movie shot in like hideous SD. And in order to do that, they had to like 
downscale it several times and then port it over to 4K and then Ooh. make it ugly again on purpose. I love it. Oh, why? I just love That's David spooky. Lynch. You could love anybody and be like, what are you doing with your resources and time and energy? Like, why, why is this what you put out into the world? I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I ask myself that question all it the time. It created like a feeling. It made me feel like icky, yeah. dirty, and scared all at the same time, which Perfect. I think is cool. Like, yeah, that's a, it's yeah. a surreal nightmare. Yes. Have you seen the film? No. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh. I also have not seen it. Is it is the one oh, okay. David Lynch film I actually have not seen. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know if it's still playing there. I might go see back. it. Yeah. I mean, I love me some David Lynch. And apparently he has, I think a new movie coming out this year is The Rumor. Yeah, that's Maybe. been shot down. It was supposed to premiere at Cannes, and he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> really? <in> birdhouses. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. I was so excited. No. Oh, you just totally crushed my dreams. No. I've never seen Inland Empire, but I've want, I've heard many things about it. About it. And, be, and basically being what you're describing, this like massive ball of kind of incomprehensible and stuff. tons of like well-known actors yeah. like strewn throughout that pop up for like a moment and disappear just as fast as they came. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Wait, Brandon, do you like Mulholland Drive? I need to revisit because this is kind of seen as like somewhat of a companion. I did not Mulholland care Drive. for it much, but I was so young when I saw it that I don't know. I can't oh, really man. say for sure. Okay. But, you know, I watched Inland Empire a few years ago. Okay. So I feel pretty confident in saying that it was well, an I endurance think, test, which did you like sounds like what the, you were describing. Um, the girl, like the girl group sex worker dancing scenes. I mean, yeah, there's like I moments like and images fun. like yeah. the, the short film with the rabbits that are just that's sort of plopped in there. Like, that, there's that some good stuff. One is just like arning and then there's like laughter. But you right also hated then. the Twin Peaks Oh, the new season, and that's what this. This is the that's, that's the mode that he's in. Here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I loved it. So I feel like I would probably love this. It's just one of the most deeply ugly, like uninspiring looking <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. But I don't like I said, like you were describing it as an endurance test, kind of like to see who would like get up and yeah. take a break. Yeah. Which when I was sitting and watching it on my couch was probably less of a fun experience mm. than it was with a crowd. So, you know. You probably got the better side of it than I did. I just, yeah, I did no research. And I just remember a girl walked in with a blanket and a pillow. And I'm like, oh, what? no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Put me, put me to rest, David Lynch. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, probably the most notable thing that I've watched. Um, other than the normal heap of garbage I dig into on Tubi. Amazing. Um, but, James, what about you? What have you been watching? We, we went to the theater last weekend and saw two movies. The Northmen and yes. Men. Northmen Men. Northmen Men. <laughs> it's a very manly uh, <laughs> duo of films. I um, really liked both of them. Maybe The Northmen a, li- a little bit more, but um, I thought Men was very interesting. Did y'all have y'all seen that one? I saw yet? both of those. Yeah, okay. I've not seen Northmen. Men. Yeah. I've seen The Northmen, though, and I loved it. Oh, I think you would love Men. men? Okay. Yeah. It's pretty. It, Pretty wild. The last, um, no spoilers, obviously, but right. men gets very strange towards the end. I think that's what's divided a lot of audiences. I don't know that that's what it is, actually. Like, cause there, okay, there is like a certain level of like mother, like yes, re- yeah. recoiling from oh. like how grotesque that end of that is. But like, I feel like smarter movie people who it's more are about prepared for that Garland. are also turning on this movie for like having too clear of a message or 
for like being too cliche and it's like atmospheric horror kind of stuff. Well, and I've read a lot of stuff like just against Alex Garland. Yeah, people don't for like him all women of a sudden. In general, whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't really buy. I, I mean, I Did guess he I do get something. Well, it's just like with Ex Machia and Annihilation, and he had that show Devs. Yeah, um, and then this is another, you know, kind of battered woman thing, and just like. I think the criticism is that his female characters lack depth. So do his male characters. None of his characters have like an inner life that I can name off the top of my head. Like he, he yeah. doesn't yeah. seem very interested in people. He's like an idea guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that the ideas in men are, they are on the surface. It's pretty easy to figure out what he's talking about, but like, I don't know. I thought the images were beautiful. And again, it like it really ratchets up the crazy body horror stuff, especially towards the end. So I, I had a blast with it. So yeah. yeah. And we already <laughs> talked about, or you talked about Northman last time. It was great. It was a badass movie. Like there were multiple times where I put up the devil horns. It was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> it is very metal. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. that scene where there's a lot of, there's like a, a raid of sorts. I don't want to like mm-hmm. give away too oh, much. Oh yeah, yeah. Just like bare hand, like yeah. I was like screaming the Hell, whole time. Like yeah. what? That was, you're talking <laughs> about the, in the beginning, like yes. that first. Yeah, yes. and it's like a. I don't know if it's actually one shot or one take, or if it just appears. A lot of it, at least, is shot to appear yeah. that way, and it's just the fluid destruction of people. It's wild. Yeah, and I felt so conflicted because it's like. Whenever those scenes would come up, it's like my bloodlust would totally ramp up. I'm like, yes, killing. I know. And then who am I? Right. And then (laughs) after the fact, it's like, oh, my God, these poor children are being like shuttled into this barn. (laughs) And okay, this is bad. It made me want to like take more care of my body because I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, human bodies can do that. (laughs) Right. I can't. I should probably take better care of mine. But I I do wholeheartedly agree with Brandon on. I think what I got or what I really liked about it was the emotional connection between Skarsgård and um oh, Taylor 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 Joy. Joy. Like, Beautiful. That Beautiful. was a really sweet romance that I was not expecting in this movie. And like that's what kind of kept me emotionally invested. That kind of humanistic stuff is definitely missing from Alex Garland's movies. Like Yeah. He doesn't absolutely. really do that. Oh. Yeah, his his best movie to me is Ex Machina, and that's because it centers on an android who's like mm. it. It makes sense for her to like any amount of humanism is just a development of her programming, which is interesting. Yeah. So I guess that one is a good example of him getting into male psychology, where it's not just yeah. like people as symbols that he moves around in his little chessboard. Yeah, like. yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about like how men use and perceive women that's yeah super interesting ex machina is my favorite movie by alex garland same and i really i really like annihilation but i hate the characterization of the women in that movie it's like they're all just kind of like there's one scene where they're giving their one sentence like traumatic (laughs) life it's like this is why i'm going in the shimmer but it's so visually just like entrancing that i like the visuals surpass any think about like the flower people all the time right (laughs) and that bit like that bear like wheezing um and man has a lot of like beautiful english countryside it was very like uh antichrist 
and uh, there's another movie that I was thinking of comparing it to, and I can't remember what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably I don't know. It's tied for second or third for me. I guess one thing that I'm kind of excited about this year. Like last year, there weren't that many movies that I was really gung ho about. Like I need to see this, and Alex Garland and Jordan Peele and Ari Aster are all three directors that are kind of like new in their career. That I mean, if they make a movie, I will see it. Um, and Jordan Peele's Nope is coming out. Yeah, Disappointment Boulevard is Ari Aster's new movie, and it was supposed to come out this year, but I haven't they're heard arguing anything? over the runtime right now like 824 really? wants them to cut it down so it's like three and a half hours <laughs> oh right my now. god of course it is <laughs> <laughs> um so i don't know if that's going to come out but i hope that it i hope that it does because that would be like the third feature film for all three of those directors and robert eggers is on the same yeah yes he, yeah, too, he was yeah. the same one yeah right and this is his third he i was there were i knew there were four directors that it's like okay gotta see that i don't care what yeah. it is i gotta see it i never um, really thought of that like now like there are directors that you, you can like follow from the yeah. beginning where you don't have to like go back and be like now i want to see all their movies you're like i have seen all right of them. yeah and they're all of them are pretty young so yeah. i just hope that they like keep making movies and like building on their careers and i'll and i'll throw in one that I'm excited for. That's an old master returning. Cronenberg. To Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, and that opens next Crimes weekend. Of yeah. the future. And I agree with everything you said. And I would throw his name in there too, of like, yeah. I am so stoked for like, not like what Cosmopolis or maps of the stars, Cronenberg, like going back to the like body horror stuff. And Tear everything I've read open. is like, <laughs> yeah. this movie sounds effed up and terrifying. I'm like all for it. That's the one complaint about men that I would like actually side with is like all those directors you're describing feel like they keep changing up their shit Mm -hmm. and like doing something new that only them can make. Like Eggers kind of established what a 24 horror is with like The Witch and since then has made movies less and less like The Witch. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But like watching Alex Garland's career, if you think about it, like. If I watched Men and didn't know who made it, I could guess who the studio was before I would guess the director. Yeah, absolutely. Which True. is kind of a shame. Like you kind of want them to like try new things and explore new territory. Yeah. I found the movie very cathartic um in its like symbolism and like it's really grotesque ending. Yeah. <laughs> but uh right. it didn't really try anything new that you haven't seen from that crop of filmmakers from that studio. Well, and also it did feel a lot like Alex Garland doing Lars von Trier and David Cronenberg. Like you could see so obviously what the influences, the influences yeah. were, especially with the, um, like the apples falling from the tree. That was like, like you said, straight out of antichrist. Mm-hmm. That super slow-mo looks beautiful, but yeah, I, I agree. It's just strange. Like he makes cold calculated sci-fi films usually. And this is the one time he's deviated from it. And it was to do something that like, any number of other directors could do with that same production company. I don't know. Yeah. That's the one complaint, like, I think is pretty valid is like, it's pretty anonymous from him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I am drawn to those kinds of movies, like movies with folk horror about gender with body horror, like isolated, beautiful, you know, so I'm going to watch that movie no matter who makes it. And I enjoyed it a lot. But yeah, I don't know that I would have known it was 
by him. And, and I think Robert Eggers, like Northman is definitely his most mainstream film, I guess you could say, but it's still weird. Oh, there's a lot weird. of yeah. weird stuff. And Lighthouse <laughs> yeah. was like incredibly weird. So, I mean, for like a mainstream big budget thing, like he still keeps it strange. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and I could, you can feel the director's voice in that film. And that, well, and obviously with Jordan Peele. Well, but. all those other people, I wouldn't say that their first movie is their best, but I would say Alex Garland. I agree with you. Ex yeah. Machina was his best film. So like the other yeah. ones are still like more and more exciting and he's just kind of like plateauing for yeah. me. Yeah. And then Ari Aster, like especially Ari Aster, first movie's pretty straightforward. This is a horror movie. It is. Yeah. And it's horrifying, dreadful in, in new ways for me, but still a horror movie. And then... Midsummer was a little different. It's like a breakup horror movie, which <laughs> with this really like cathartic ending. And then Disappointment Boulevard is like a biopic kind. I mean, it's not not a not a mockumentary, but it's like about this director's life. And like there are some people that say it's a black comedy or like a horror comedy, but I have no idea if that's true. Like I don't know. Basically, I don't know what you're making, exactly. but I'm gonna see it. I'm excited. I feel the same way about Peel. Like, yeah, I don't know. Get Out. I kind of get what the script is doing very clearly. Mm-hmm. I know we had huge disagreements about us, but I found it a much better movie because it was like kind of slippery. Like it was like a much weirder uh, experiment yeah. with like form. I think, and the new one, like it appears to be sci-fi horror, but beyond that, I could not tell you what it's gonna do. And yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, and Alex Garland. The last thing I'll say is like it's like Ex Machina was an absolutely controlled environment it's like this tiny setting but the it's it's like there he's exploring all this philosophical territory and kind of like going past the boundaries of like humanity so it's expansive in that way and then annihilation was just like philosophically and visually expansive. I mean, it's this whole other world, which is, you know, it's beautiful. I, but I didn't love like the script particularly. And then Men is like smaller in scope and also smaller in its ideas and its metaphor. Yeah. And it was still satisfying, but yeah, definitely not uh, my favorite one. Yeah. That whistle scene in the tunnel, though, that's oh, going to be top, top oh. five scenes oh. of the year. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, you know, it was all over the trailer, but that was some good shit. Yeah. Anyway, what about you, Brandon? <laughs> well, in the great culture war, uh, A24 has won many battles, but uh, Neon is their like main rival as far as like distribution companies go. Mm-hmm. And they have the new Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. They made our favorite movie the last year, Titan. Yeah. And they also won, I think, a pretty significant battle against A24 with the distribution of pleasure. Uh, which is a Swedish porn industry drama. Pleasure was supposed to be released by A24, and they wanted to make a R-rated cut of it that cut out a lot of like the explicit sex scenes, and the director was like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's about porn. Yeah, she's like, I made a, a movie about porn. It has to be, you know, NC-17 or whatever. You can't cut out all the dicks <laughs> to make it more marketable. And Neon picked up the movie, and it's like, you know, director's cut and released it to theaters. Nice. Cool. Uh, Part of the reason I might have a chip on my shoulder about um, Inland Empire, by the way, is they canceled some screenings of pleasure to make room on the docket for... uh, (laughs) I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which, you know, obviously more people were going to see the David Lynch movie anyway, so I'm glad glad the Broad made more money off of that. But I did manage to squeeze in at the last screening of pleasure when I played at the Broad. I 
thought it was pretty good, but not great. Yeah. Um, the director, her name's like Nina Thyberg. Uh, she's from Sweden. And she comes into LA and interviewed a lot of um, porn industry people. And the movie actually features a lot of them as like sort of like semi-professional actors, like in like their first dramatic roles in a non-porn movie. She started her thinking about pornography as a teenager as this like anti-porn activist. And then she got into the idea that like, oh, there's a way to make feminist pornography. And like, that's good. And then from there, she like actually started to talking to people who make pornography, which is, I think, I guess how this project came about. And it turns into this movie where it's like, she's still anti-porn the way it is, but like, it's only because of capitalism that it's evil. Like, in the movie, this like Swedish 20-year-old comes to America and decides, I want to get as famous as possible super quickly in the porn world. How extreme can I push myself without like, you know, violating my boundaries and like get famous like instantly? Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people take advantage of her eagerness and like violate her boundaries in ways that feel just like regular office and work environment, like corporate speak. Like Mm -hmm. they're kind of just talking her into stuff, but they're using the language of like consent and like girl power feminism in ways that they, they're communicating the exact opposite message. It's like, Mm. Oh, no pressure. You don't have to do anything you want. But when they're saying that they're like, you have to do this right now, or you will never work in this town again. And she gets that message like very clearly. The movie has a very like candy coated, overlit McMansion setting where, you know, most professional pornography is filmed. I liked the poster a lot. Yeah. It seemed very like colorful and like like candy coated. It's very grammable uh, aesthetic. Yeah. And there's some like really good um, omen style, like choral chanting, like, ha, 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 ha. Like, uh, (laughs) almost like a Latin, like satanic chanting over her um, rise to power. But it kind of, I kind of had the same problem that a lot of people have. uh, have with Alex Garland movies where it was like the characters don't really have internal lives in this. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was more about making political points about the ways that like porn exploit people. And I felt like for a drama where you're watching someone like go through something really traumatic and, um, sensational, I don't know. You kind of need to know who that person is. Like it kind of needs to be a little bit of a character study. Yeah. But even it being more symbolic and about like, how capitalism wears down your morals and like violates your body in order for you to make money. Um, it was very tense. I, you mm. know, there were, there were probably about 10 people in the theater and we were all very quiet. <laughs> it was a very cold room. Uh, even the opening credits were played. Um, it's like this like black screen with like actors names and like plain text on the background, but like layers and layers of professional porn sound. Uh, which I never listened to. Like, uh, this is a very like personal thing to say, but like, porn that's made professionally has this like theatrical sound where like people moan and shriek and like talk dirty in this way that like no one actually does when they're having mm-hmm. sex. Um, and it's like always really uncomfortable to me because it's like so <laughs> false. Uh, and hearing layers and layers and layers of that in public with like strangers. Oh, my was, like, oh god, super <laughs> tense. And um, there was no mute button, you know. So like, <laughs> I just had to sit you with that sit feeling. Through it. Yeah. And the whole movie was kind of like that. It has this kind of like chokehold on you, uh, where you have to like stare down the like least comfortable parts of like porn production. It sounds like you have to watch it in theater because if you leave, everybody will be like, "Ha ha!" You know what I mean? Scared what like, a loser! Right, right. <laughs> you left her in the porn movie. So I guess there were like two endurance contest films that right. uh, the broad this week, and God. one of them usurped the other one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Weird. 
Uh, today we will be talking about more sex, but in a much goofier, lighter tone. <laughs> I, I was wondering, like, how is Brandon going right. to make this transition? It wasn't easy. You dug the segue out of the shed. <laughs> Brittany chose a spoof of the erotic thriller genre as our like anchor movie this episode. Yes. And then from there, we're going to talk about more spoofs and spoofs. get away from... Uh, spoofs and goofs. Silly. A lot of silly. Yeah. Silly, silly yeah. goofs. <laughs> more silly, less porny for the rest of the episode. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you <laughs> right now. You really are incredibly stupid, aren't you? I like that in a man. I'd be insulted, but I know you're serious. You sound so sure of yourself. I don't look as dumb as I am. Let me buy you a drink, Mr. Um, Ravine. Ned Ravine and I'm on duty. Brain surgeon? Cop. Ooh, bet you have a big gun. Or you lose. Well, if I can't buy you a drink, how about, um, how about one of those? Who can say no to a wiener? Not me. Two dogs. Hot. You got it. A couple of months ago, I was perusing Tubi, as one does, and I came across this movie called Fatal Instinct because normally on Tubi, all I watch are um, like Lifetime movies, but on the thriller scope and the sexy erotic thriller side of Lifetime movies. And I'm like, oh, well, this sounds super erotic because it's mixing like Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct. And I watched it and it was a surprise because it was not so much a thriller. It was a spoof of all my favorite erotic thrillers from the late eighties and early nineties. And I loved it. And I was crying, laughing by myself in my apartment. <laughs> and I immediately texted Brandon. Cause we had just watched, I think like basic instinct for, we had, well, we had an erotic thriller episode. Yeah. No, we had a um, right? killer women episode. Killer women, yeah. yeah. Which had some erotic thrillers yeah. in it. So I'm like, you need to watch this. And then I'm like, I want everyone to watch this. How can I make everyone watch this? And damn, it was my turn to pick. So I'm like, <laughs> we should do some like parody or spoof movies. Um, so that's what we're doing. And I picked Fatal Instinct. <laughs> so <laughs> Fatal Instinct is sort of like if the Naked Gun was an erotic thriller. It has the same style, and I freaking love the Naked Gun movies, and we may talk about one later. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we definitely will. Okay. <laughs> um, but Fatal Instinct is a 1993 movie directed by Carl Reiner, who is, you know, triple threat, director, actor, comedian. He's done um, other movies he directed are Oh God, starring a, um, a oh, young John he did Denver. That. Ah, I like that movie. And um, The Man with Two Brains. Which is also kind of funny. He also worked really closely with Mel Brooks, who like Damn. we're not talking yeah. about one of his Very movies much today, but in the same vein. Yeah, he does yeah. a lot of genre spoofs as well. Same yeah. humor. So this is parroting um, some really, really good erotic thrillers, and I'm gonna list a couple that like really stuck out to me. But Body Heat, Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct. Uh, Cape Fear, and one of my all-time favorites, Sleeping with the Enemy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, my God. That's... You've never seen Sleeping with... Ooh. Oh, my God. Is Julia Roberts in there? Yes. yes. Okay, I need to see that. I think uh, we rewatched... Me and Hunter rewatched yeah. it sometime last so year. A months ago, yeah. That, that's one of my mom's favorite movies, and we watched the shit out of that it's amazing. growing up. It's so yeah. good. So that's probably why a lot... So Laura in this movie, um, that's actually the name of Julia Roberts' character. 
in that movie. And that's where all the towel gags come yeah. from mm-hmm. and uh, the boat stuff. There's also like specific gags to like things that aren't the main ones. Like I, I, I'm thinking there's like a drill scene that like calls back to body double or there's like a um, stupid throwaway gag where um, someone knocks twice. And she goes, oh, oh yeah, that's the, just the postman. Yeah, he yeah, always yeah. knocks twice. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's yes. lots of other fun stuff like sprinkled in, too. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to try my best to kind of talk about what the plot of this is, other than just a bunch of goofy shit pulled together. So Ned is our main character, and he's played by Armand Asante. And I just remember him playing in, like, a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> but... I, all I remember about Armand Asante is that um, he's got like a ponytail, like now. And as he got older, his hair got longer and he made a ponytail. Well, he's in here and he's a lawyer and a cop. <laughs> Conflict of interest. I love a bit, that huh? guy. And yeah. He, he defends the he people. He defends the people he arrests. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. So he, um, he speaks in this very like neo-noir way. Which is super duper funny. And while he's like out on the prowl, he um, meets this woman who's our like Sharon Stone character, Lola Kane, played by Sean Young. And it's one of my favorite scenes and it plays right at the beginning of the movie. But um, they're at the pier and that's when they they first meet. And (laughs) she brings him get a hot dog. And she's he's like, do you come out here often? And she looks at him and is like, only when I'm in heat. (laughs) (laughs) And then she like is deep throating this hot dog and he like squirts mustard on her decolletage and is like trying to wipe it off. But it lasts for like a good three minutes. It reminds me of the Elvira Mistress of the Dark scene where the the hot dog falls on her cleavage. It's super, super funny. That was one of the gags where I was most thinking of you for, to be honest, was mustard on her tits. And then um, the... um, celebrity cameos were all very Britney. It was like Eartha Kitt and then Rosie O'Donnell and then fucking Problem Child shows up in the third act. I was like, okay, this is a very Britney movie. It is. Wait, that that scene too, I love that his like partner, I forget the the actor's name, what do you say? He's like, he's these like, these are-, are the best nachos outside of Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that like that made me laugh more than yeah. even the mustard. It was like the best nachos at Detroit, that Michigan. A Detroit? Not for that. What? <laughs> so uh, he fantastic. he meets Lola, and Lola ends up like going to his his office, and she's like, I have papers for you. I just got these papers for you to see. And then she just talks about papers. And then she pulls the Sharon Stone, I'm not wearing underwear stunt. And he like, he's like, hold on. And then he pulls open his drawer and he has like disposable underwear, like in a tissue box. Hilarious. <laughs> yes. Um, and in his office, he does have an assistant. Her name is Laura and she's uh, played by um, Sherilyn Finn. Mm hmm. It would have been great in an erotic thriller. I don't know why that never happened. Yeah, I know. So she is like in love with him and she's Laura as in like sleeping with the enemy Laura. Mm-hmm. So like she's in the bathroom and she gets like this like PTSD when the like, like the, the it's like all these towels that say his, his, his. And they're like crooked. It's horrible. But I laughed um, at the same time. Like there's he well, he's married and his wife, I forget like who plays her, but she's freaking awesome. 
shit. Well, his wife is having an affair with um, a mechanic who was the the mean guy in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> Who's also on that show Hacks right now, and he's very funny oh, on that. I haven't watched that. Well, they're having this affair, and she wants to kill ned to get the insurance money it's like a million dollars but it has to be very specific there's like three things that have to happen for her to get that insurance money he has to be shot fall from a northbound train and drown in a freshwater stream (laughs) (laughs) and she has this plan laid out and as they're talking about it she has like a whole model of the city (laughs) and she has like a powerpoint that comes up and she's like here's the plan and also this is where we get very Cape Fear. Max Shady, and if I'm not mistaken, Max was the name of the character in Cape Fear. Sure. It's a lot yeah, of the first was, names was, of yeah. these characters yeah. match the movies they're like parodying. I can only picture the Robert De Niro remake with like the fireworks and like the outfit. Like I don't remember anything about it really, other than like the look of it. I think whenever you were cleaning out your DVD collection, like Cape Fear was in there, and I have that copy. Okay, good because <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Um, thanks. So um, he's getting out of jail and he is going to seek revenge on Ned. So all of this stuff is happening in Ned's universe. And it is so funny. Like, this is probably one of the funniest movies that I've ever seen. And I'm not embarrassed to say it, even though I feel like I should be. But I don't know. I think it's a great example of like a parody or a spoof film like done right where it gives enough nods to all these movies that everybody knows, but it pulls in lots of other stupid shit to make it like even lighter and funnier. I do like that it pulls in the plots too. Cause like what you're talking about where like all these people are trying to kill him. It feels like all four of these movies all happening at once where like he's defending someone in court. And then there's like four people at once trying to kill him, like between his wife, his yeah. mistress and like, uh, the jealous lover and like all kinds of other people. Like. They're trying to get his pee pee. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not just like I feel like in the Naked Gun style version of this, there would be like one plot through line. You're right, and then like gags sort of like spinning off of yeah. that. Like it keeps it very simple. Here, it's it allows the like four different plots from four different movies to pile up, right? Which is wild, and it works. Like it it feels like a cohesive film by the end. It kind of slows which- down on the jokes by the end, and it kind of like falls through on the story, which is. Very unusual for the genre. Yeah, once you meet his pet. <laughs> his pet skunk. His pet skunk. The skunk was so real. cute. Skunky snacks. I, I was actually going to... Skunky snackies. <laughs> I was going to bring that up during the Naked Gun discussion, but like the spoof genre, it feels like it either is tries to go with like a timeless humor mm-hmm. or it's like a scary movie kind of thing where we're going to talk about what like a specific genre or like pop culture stuff from this time period. And I think both are funny. I think one just lends itself to being a little more timeless and another feels a little more, not really dated. It's just like, if you don't get the ref, if you haven't seen fatal attraction or basic instinct, the jokes don't land quite as hard. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on this specific example, because generally I think you're correct. But this movie is making fun of erotic thrillers, which are already a photocopy of noir. And like the erotic thriller genre was trying to like update noir Mm -hmm. to like a post um, Hayes Code standard where you're allowed to get away with more like Mm. explicit sexuality. So like 
in this version of making fun of erotic thrillers, they're making fun of two genres at once. Mm, yeah. And noir has been so influential throughout the years. And like yeah. every thriller has like taken from that like high style um, American crime film base level thing that like there are jokes that like transcend time that have nothing to do with specific references. So the movie does both. Like the, the postman always rings twice gag is so specific to a title of a film. and has no joke that goes any further into like what happens <laughs> right. in the movie than just the name of it. But at the same time you have like the over narrated voiceover and then like as Lola, the mistress, like um, she, mm-hmm. yeah. when she um, blows smoke in his face at the bar and it's just like this like vape <laughs> cloud that will not stop in his face. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like these noir jokes that feel like timeless in a way to me because that genre is like echoed through so many things after yeah. erotic thrillers. Cause you're right. A lot of it, like I was picking up on like, like that Chinatown style yeah. of noir. Yeah. He feels very, the main character yeah. feels very Chinatown. Like more like, might be. he feels more like he's from that era than from any of the erotic then, like thrillers. The, uh, Michael Douglas. Yeah. Character. Right. Yeah. Chinatown's a great example because like, what happened was like you have these American noir films that are like made by cheap, mostly poverty row production studios outside of like official Hollywood, uh-huh. like the big the big ones. Which is funny because uh, Fatal Instinct was made by MGM. It's like a pretty major production for a movie with such a low profile. But like most noir films are like low budget American crime movies, and then you have the French New Wave that took a lot of influence directly from that mm-hmm. and made like these like art films that have like outlasted a lot of the original noir. Yeah. And then after that, Americans again took influence from France, and you have those um I forget what they're called the New Hollywood crop of people like making movies like Chinatown, mm-hmm. you know the Brian De Palmas and Scorsese's and like all the yeah. other people after that. There were still it was like an echo and of an echo of noir. Um, and erotic thrillers came after that, where it was like, right. it had nothing new to say God. about the the genre other than just like, let's do more sex, right? Uh, which is also great <laughs> in its own way. And it all rolls up to Fatal Instinct. Everything. This is yeah. the scum on the bottom of the barrel, but it's still good scum. <laughs> well, so I want to kind of touch on what you were saying, how like it's not like a more lesser known movie. Like that, like the fact that I didn't know that this existed neither, until yeah. like a few months ago is like, what the fuck like this is so in my wheelhouse like how did this not come across my plate and i think that it just had a lot of like really bad marketing like a the name of the movie is like fatal instinct so it doesn't really come off as like a spoof like it feels like a lifetime movie it showed up in my queue after i was watching a bunch of lifetime movies yeah (laughs) and if you like look at the film cover like you have to look really good and then you notice the toilet paper on the bottom of her shoe which is a constant gag throughout the movie. So funny. She always has toilet paper at the end of her heel. So it, it's just a shame that it just like stayed so low on like the movie radar. And well, well yeah. it's crazy too because like we randomly discovered it. Oh yeah, it was very like we watched it, and then a week or two weeks later, you were talking about it at Brandon's <gasps> house. It, I, it was wild. Because and actually, yeah. like everything in this episode, like even the. Naked Gun, we had like kind of gone back and revisited, and then I saw that and I was like, "Oh <laughs> yes. yeah, that's in that wheelhouse." And like <laughs> we even watched this very bad Leslie Nielsen uh, wrongfully accused, which is kind of oh, touching yeah. on like it has the one fugitive. great gag. What's that? <laughs> uh, the runaway train that's chasing him through the woods off the track. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Leslie Nielsen but, movies, but that's the thing. Like all all of these films have like 
one or two gags that just like hit that spot. Yeah. So and are it, they making a comeback? I don't like. No, no. not at all. No. Like the, <laughs> that genre is like us? did. Yeah. Unfortunately, they make versions of it now where it's like the last one I saw was a Fast and Furious spoof that like made fun of Paul Walker after he died. Jesus. Felt like, Very bad. Oh, whoa. Hard. <laughs> We've really hit That's rock hard. bottom here. But this film felt like. I going into it, I was like, oh, it's going to be like the bad version, the like uh, wrongfully accused, which is not great. But this actually is like much funnier than I thought going nice. into it. Oh, yeah, the gag where they all are slipping on the blood made oh, me that- laugh <laughs> yeah, out. Like I- that, that broke me. I was, I was trying to think of all of these films and other spoof films I've seen, and like, like what is it about if because there are just like people become obsessed with these movies you know like and i think of like space balls too and like mm-hmm. airplane and you know yeah. and it's like to me there has to be like two or three like not all of the jokes are going to work especially if you're going like a mile a minute um but there have to be like two or three scenes that just like make you cry basically and to me the the scenes for this movie, it was like the courtroom scene for some reason. I th- Like when he thr- throws the blender against <laughs> the wall, like they're trying to like get pass it to the um, the officer, like the bailiff, and he just throws it. At- like that just made me laugh. Like it was so stupid, but I did. And then the blood, like just watching like 15 men just going like, 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 like slipping like on a banana peel. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then it's just constant. And then there's like the photographer who stands, he's like taking pictures every time someone falls. And it's like, <laughs> like it kills me. So I don't know. I comparing, I feel like this is very similar to the Naked Gun movies. I think the writing for me is a little better in the, the Zucker. Like I like the Zucker brothers writing a little better. Yeah. But. Um, I do think this is better than like the wrongfully accused with Leslie. Like Leslie Nielsen is one of the secret sauce ingredients in the yes. Zucker movies, but he's not he's not the only component that you yeah. need. So yeah, I thought like I just love this because it had a couple of those great scenes, and I just like the subject matter. Like this is a good genre to spoof for me. Yeah, I and sometimes it gets like too specific, like with the date movie or like yeah not another teen movie not another teen right. movie epic what? movie epic movie yeah two there's specific. a gay one too but i don't know the title. not another gay movie sure <laughs> wow <laughs> i think so i think yeah, that's I, actually I, it's pretty I, low effort so i believe yeah, it. i have it jesus okay. is it good um i've heard good things it's funny it's like whenever i started getting into like gay cinema when in high school i had that in this movie called latter days about um these two like mormons well, now I'm horny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like me and my friend Jared would just watch those on repeat. And not another gay movie was pretty funny. It, it's, But those movies kind of yeah. ruined spoof movies. Yeah, it's like when Zucker, Abram Zucker, like broke up. Yeah. Like when Zaz like dissipated and the two brothers can't work together anymore because their politics like split in half. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was kind of the end of the genre. But it's just a shame because, like, I want it to make a revival. I love these silly... And maybe they are. Maybe you have some insight. I think the reason 
that they don't feel as classic anymore. And I'm listening to Hannah say like, oh, people love these movies. Mm -hmm. I think the difference is like people saw them when they were like 10, 12 years old. It was like the funniest shit they'd ever seen in their life. Like it's the same people who are comedy writers now and are like, yeah, I grew up on Mad Magazine and it was like so anarchic and like really cut to the point of like uh, parody. And then you read actual Mad Magazine issues and it's like, this is really, (laughs) really juvenile. Yeah, but but there are still like, again, the slipping in bloods and there are other scenes that you know we'll talk about with other movies like not slapstick yeah it's iconic it's not all great um and you know i've seen airplane like i used to love i still love airplane but upon rewatching, like again not everything is a hit but there are still like legitimately like belly laugh funny scenes that hit me in ways that other comedies don't i mean i'm not saying these are the pinnacle of comedy but i do (laughs) think that they're they're pure comedy it's just joke after (laughs) yeah i think they are and i don't know i feel like (laughs) it it works in like waves and like okay the spoof thing is kind of dead for now and like now it feels like we're living in the i don't know i think like the modern what are the modern classics i guess it's like what people love the hangover we're post love- judd apatow now so yeah. it's in a weird space you know yeah. i was just thinking about apatow and then i thought of barb and star which is kind of like yeah. in yeah. the spoof arena but it's it very earnest like it's not a spoof it's got the surrealism of a spoof yeah yes. it's, yeah. it's more I, about the gag of the moment i would be than all for if that yeah. becomes the trend like yes please get back to the silly yeah and definitely get away from like the Judd Apatow <laughs> era because yeah. that dominated. At least learn how to fucking like edit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I, one other thing I want to say about this movie compared to the other movies that we'll talk about is I think this by far had the best roles for women. Like, yes, I remember, mm. you know, watching it and then rewatching it. Like, they just seemed like they were having a lot of fun. Like, Lola was great i loved her <laughs> and amazing. normally like i feel like women kind of have to be like the straight woman for the man to like work off of mm-hmm. you know like jamie presley is just i mean she has yeah. funny lines but she doesn't really get to do anything but all of these women in this in um fatal instinct like got to ham it up and that i just really loved it i would have loved to be in this movie cheryl and fenn doing a goofy version of her character on twin peaks mm-hmm. was like a really great <laughs> like touch to the film yeah it was just like yeah she perfectly fits in this like noir template and twin peaks used her in a very funny way already but like to see her sort of like satirize that same yeah function is is funny she was a noir queen and no one even knew it <laughs> right Mm-mm. I mean, the last time we saw her, she was wandering around the desert with a head wound (laughs) in uh, Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah. And she got her uh, beer can hat. (laughs) See, (laughs) I think there are a lot of gags like that, like the beer can hat or people slipping in blood or the skunk puppet on the roller coaster. Skunk that too. are going to be funny to you if you're 10 years old and this is the yeah. first erotic thriller you've ever seen in your life. Like right. You're going to laugh at those gags but no why was what. it so funny for me? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying they're not funny now. I'm just yeah. saying they're universally yeah. funny because right. it's slapstick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think if there's any argument that there's like an intelligence and like intellectualism towards these movies, like it is in the observation of genre tropes that you don't even really think about. Mm-hmm. So like 
in the boardwalk scene where they order the hot dogs, mm-hmm. um, they start walking and talking um, while they're eating their hot dogs and spilling mustard all over their tits. Uh, <laughs> and you hear a saxophone in the background. You don't really think about it because it's just part of the genre. And then all of a sudden you notice that the sax man is walking alongside of them and playing the sax with them. You're like, okay, so the movie's like pointing out this like common trope between these yeah. different movies. And then later when they have sex uh, for the first time, finally him and his mistress... <laughs> It really points to how unsexy and unnatural erotic thriller sex is, where they're not even really touching each other. He's just, he's just like buffing her butt. Yeah. yeah. That, or like, doing backflips like of... near her on the bed <laughs> yes. while she's just like moaning. <laughs> and it's not that much of an exaggeration of what sex looks like in these movies. They're not, it's not intimate sex in an erotic thriller. It's very theatric and like over the top and unsexy. Um, yeah. I think like, the movies can make very smart, small observations yeah. about their genres um, in a way that you wouldn't really expect from a movie that's all, you know, fart jokes and dick well, jokes, which when, also happens. One, to your point, too, it's like plot as well. Like, you talk about tropes. Like, I think most of these movies we're going to talk about, they have a plot, and it's a very generic plot in the sense that to that genre, that is kind of the way the plot unfolds and when you see it in such a like in your face generic way it just calls to like all the ways that these movies sort of tell the same story over and over and over again that's where this one's a little special though because it's like it has multiple plots all at once right right no this one's a little different impossibly contradicting each other the other ones we'll talk about definitely follow the beats of the most generic yeah the most generic plot in this genre about your reviews uh, a little bit regarding intravenous de milo this tasteless cover is a good indication of the lack of musical invention within the musical growth rate of this band cannot even be charted they are treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and bad poetry that's that's nitpicking isn't it the gospel according to spinal tap this pretentious ponderous collection of religious rock psalms Hmm. is enough to prompt the question what day did the Lord create Spinal Tap, and couldn't he have rested on that day, too? I've heard that one. No, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. The review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review, just said, shit sandwich. Um, <laughs> Why'd they print that? Why'd they print that? That's not real, is it? You can't print that. So my pick was, this is Spinal Tap, um, directed by Rob Reiner in 1984, Carl Reiner's Son, ah, the other Reiner, yeah, the yeah. other Reiner, um, starring uh, Christopher Guest, who also uh, wrote, um, he co-wrote the songs with a bunch of people, and Michael McKean. So this is a mockumentary. So it's a spoof of music documentaries. The documentarian is played by Rob Reiner, and he is following this British rock group on their um, U.S. tour. Um, which is uh, going very badly. Uh, <laughs> uh, shows are being canceled left and right. The tensions between band members is simmering. Um, there is a lot of controversy uh, surrounding their newest album cover. Uh, their new <laughs> album is called, I think it's called Smell the Glove. Sniff the Glove. Sniff the Glove. <laughs> Um, they have cho- <laughs> chosen an extremely offensive um, album cover that they're uh, 
their record label will not release. So it's just um, Rob Reiner as a documentarian is following this band as they're kind of like spiraling into their waning days of popularity. So I feel like this film is definitely, I think it's the least goofy. It has like a little bit of a British sense of humor. It's like this movie kind of gives me like bubbly chuckles. Um, They're just really like fun kind of pleasant gags like they have this recurring joke that the band's drummer dies in like mysterious circumstances like the first drummer um i believe he dies in a mysterious uh gardening uh, accident like, like one spontaneously combusts <laughs> right. into a yeah. gardening accident sounds like a murder right, right. yeah well the Wait, police did. say the police yeah. say it's um they say to best leave it unsolved. <laughs> <laughs> when you say like you got like small bubbly laughs out right. of this, this is like one of the ones where I get like the biggest laughs out of. Oh, like, really? It kept surprising me. So, yeah. Did you know that like J.K. Rowling used that as like her inspiration oh, for the really? professor of the darts, the uh, dark arts teachers through the Harry Potter series? No! How they just oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're like, cycling through. Cycling yeah. Through. <laughs> Yeah, has to leave that unsolved. <laughs> and very funny. The second it. one, he dies by choking on vomit, but it's someone, someone else's else. vomit, and they're like, "You can't. We can't figure out whose vomit it was. You can't do DNA analysis." Anyway, it's just like they're just these like really like charming, fun goofs. Um, the songs are like so <laughs> they're so perfect. They're like these like kind of vaguely sexual like um rock songs that <laughs> it's like if you sex listen for sex for right. <laughs> well, sex- no, okay here's okay here's how, why i say vaguely like they are sexual but the euphemisms are like They're just funny. wrong it yeah. doesn't make any sense he's like i'm gonna poke your head with a <laughs> your pitchfork head. like <laughs> what i love to like the songs aren't Terrible. They're like one step right. removed from what yeah. an actual rock song. Well, one of them would was in like. Guitar Hero. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And tonight, gonna rock thing. it tonight. I I played that song on Guitar Hero before I watched this movie. So yeah. when I saw the movie the drummer for the first dies time in Guitar Hero too, right? I, oh, really? That's I think funny. so. That's great. It just sounds like a Kiss song. It sounds like yeah. I want to rock and roll all night or something. Yeah. 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 But but this. <laughs> I need to listen to this album over and over again. That song, it's that's yeah. Tonight I'm gonna rock you tonight, and it's like the first line is like, "Baby girl, it's a big, big world." And you know, like in rock songs, people say, "Yeah, yeah, baby, baby girl." And then the second verse starts out, "You're sweet, but you're only four feet." <laughs> <laughs> and you still have your baby teeth. <laughs> Ew. But it's, what? But it's it's a good. Like parody song, right? But yeah, no, because but it's good music at the same time. Like, yeah, it's so bizarre, right? If you weren't listening to it, you would just be like, "Oh yeah, this is this came out yeah. in the eighties or whatever." There's also a song on that album called like "Satan Comes to Christmas" or something like that. It's <laughs> very funny. Yeah, like if I'm remembering this correctly, like I really, really, really liked this movie in high school. Like I had mm-hmm. a Spinal Tap patch on my school bag yeah with the unlot over the n which makes no sense (laughs) (laughs) very funny a lot of people 
Like, I remember in, like, school thought it was a band. And then, if I'm not mistaken, I remember people talking about it on, like, interviews and stuff. That, like, the album came out and they, like, actually toured and performed. And people were, like... Because mm-hmm. the mockumentary wasn't, like, a... It was a new thing. Like, this was, like, one yeah. of the first ones, right? There were a lot of people who... People were, like, what the fuck? Is this really a band? Right. There were a lot of people on? in bands who watched this and really enjoyed it but didn't find it especially funny. It was just, like, well, oh, yeah, that's true. It's yeah. so funny because I think, like... Pretty much, like, all... I know, like, Metallica's Black Album, like, paid homage to this. And, like, all these bands, like, made live performances of some of the songs. Like, I remember Soundgarden did, like, Big Bottom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But Steven Tyler was, like, one of the only, like, rock musicians that were like, yeah, I don't get what the big deal is. It's not that funny. Of course. Because around when this came out like they had a stonehenge album cover <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought that was pretty funny yeah what do you think the bands are responding to is it like the tour life thing where like they can't find the stage and like wandering around the like <laughs> yeah room, or just or, like that's like, like that's how like they're treated like they're not like these smart grand wizards I, doing they're not shit. smart yeah I don't know, exactly like, as, as like doofuses. as like a metal head i would say What's funny about this movie is like it's mocking like metal and like mm-hmm. hard rock acts that take themselves very seriously. Yeah. But I think what's getting at that is like no one takes this seriously. Like metalheads, like I guess some of them, like if you're like an extreme black metal, you're like take it seriously. The but for the most part, yeah. But it's like a it's a ridiculous genre, yeah. and it's if you're, very theatrical. Yeah, yeah and if you're mm-hmm. into it. You would just watch Spinal Tap and be like, yeah, that's awesome. That little Stonehenge is awesome. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. All this shit. And like turning the amps up to 11. Like, yeah. cool. There was I a want popular- an amp that goes to 11. Why don't you make 10 louder? Well, fuck it. Because 11's cooler. Like, <laughs> it's a, like an earnest, like, it's not even mocking it. It's like, no, this is what we find cool about this There was a popular genre. metal band a few years ago called Goblin Cock. Like, oh, I yeah. love Goblin Cock. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's not like, and on the cover, it was a goblin with a big cock. Yeah, people find humor in like the genre. It's mm-hmm. not like people do think of metalheads as being very humorless, and there are like, right, there's some, but there's, yeah, that's but not on. really <laughs> yeah. how most of us feel about this music. Like, it's absurd. What I responded to here was like, I'd never seen this movie before, mm-hmm. but I through osmosis, I knew most of the jokes coming. Still got the biggest laughs out of most of the movies we were talked about today because it's yeah. just very funny. What I responded to was like, we just did this episode Mm -hmm. about like concert films. Yeah. And if you read the Wikipedia for this is Spinal Tap, they will reference like concert films as a genre and like movies that had come out around that time. So it's like, oh, yeah, they referenced movies like um, The Last Waltz or, you know, Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same. And I'm watching this like, this is nothing like Last Waltz. This is exactly The Song Remains the Same. Yes. It's like it's spoofing exact shots from that movie. Yeah, yeah those especially... tight, like, ab- yeah, that, like, <laughs> the deep angle. Those in his tight pants. And he, like, yeah. shakes his butt yeah. in the camera yes. scene when he's wearing the checker pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big so, bottom. <laughs> it's kind not of absurd that I have not seen Spinal Tap until now, but, you know, I'm glad I waited because I just watched that Led Zeppelin movie yeah. and then I just watched every episode of The Nanny. And, um, <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. Fran. Miss Fran Drescher's right in the beginning. She's and great. doesn't she reference this in like The Nanny? There's an episode late in The Nanny where she plays Bobby Fleckman, the uh, oh, <laughs> record studio exec, um, as 
as a like separate character from her um from Fran Fine. From Fran Fine. Why did that name just completely escape from my mind? Watch like hundreds of episodes of that show. <laughs> but uh, they like interact with each other on camera a lot. Um, in that one episode. Nice. So I, I'm gl- I'm glad I built this like back register of like pop culture ephemera in my head before watching awesome. this. The Led Zeppelin stuff felt very direct. Like those those low angle shots of their crotches and butts is like okay, yeah, this is absolutely. like a direct reference and. Those are my favorite things in any of these movies was like specifics, like something that only a nerd who watched all of these movies and like picked up on the like through lines of them would like catch on to. Yeah, I hadn't seen the Led Zeppelin movie before before the first time I watched This Is Spinal Tap. So it was really fun to see. I was like, I know what this is about. Like those and even the like those little scenes in the led zeppelin movie of like the kind of pagan like yeah that was like bleeding into it too (laughs) and um there was there was there are also like so i love the like big jokes in here like the you know 11 and the the mini stonehenge just tickles me but then there were like some other kind of smaller jokes like when they're arguing with fran drescher's character about whether or not the cover is sexist. Yeah. And he's like, no, but the thing is, it's not sexist. It's making fun of it. Right. It's making fun of it. It's a joke. And then um, Christopher Guest's character is like, well, it is and isn't a joke. She should be made to sniff the glove. Like, like they can't even, like, get the, like, press release right. Or, you know, like, they can't get their story straight at all. That was the jokes that, like, made me laugh the hardest. Yeah. And it happens later when someone else does a very similar album cover to that one right but it's the man who's like in a yeah, like uh, yeah, subservient yeah. position on the cover yeah and um they're like so it's okay that the guy's doing it <laughs> and he's like yeah and he goes he like ponders it for a second he's like it really is a thin line between stupid and clever isn't it <laughs> and that made me laugh till i was crying yeah <laughs> but it was such a throwaway line like yeah just the, right. uh sort of like vapid like uh staring off into space while right pondering things. <laughs> and it felt very like genuine too um i read Uh like christopher guest and michael mckean like started very similarly as these two characters where like they met in new york city and made like folk music together Mm -hmm. in the 60s and then like ended up going into um improv comedy and sketch comedy (laughs) after that i think that's what i think i think that's why i like this one the most it was it actually had like a heart to it especially at the end when the band breaks up and Christopher Guest rejoins them on stage for his solo. Like, that actually got me. I was like, damn, like, awesome. Uh Like, be back with your band. Like, that's cool. In a way that none of the other films have that sort of heart to them. Almost kind of a shame that, like, this morphed into something else. Like, when Christopher Guest took over this style and then did, like, Waiting for Guffman and then. Um, what was after that? Mighty Wind and uh, Best in Show, Best in Show yeah. and all those other movies. That's a good one. It's just like those movies are very good, and I, I really appreciate those. Yeah. But there's like an observation about real life stuff here that I feel like is missing in those movies, mm. where they keep the same pattern over and over again, where it's about like this big. I guess they're all parroting the same genre, which is that like uh, Gates of Heaven style, like human interest documentary mm-hmm. where it's about like weirdos with a niche interest yeah uh, we mm-hmm. talk about chicken people yeah like it's, it's yeah. that style of documentary that they're parodying yeah and it feels like you got kind of just stuck there mm. where like if they yeah. extended that parody style to other genres of movies like he might have more of a fresh perspective that would have like lasted longer yeah so that's kind of a shame because this is like 
one of his best movies, even though Rob Reiner directed it. Right. Also did not expect to see Rob Reiner on screen as much right, as Right, yeah. It was very so fun. I He's like one it. of the main characters. Yeah. Which is also a callback to the Led Zeppelin movie because their manager is on screen way more than you would want him to be. <laughs> He's <laughs> right. like way more you of a character. You are not why I'm watching this. Yeah. 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 I, I just want to call out one more. It, like they during the credits, they have a bunch of it seems like they were having a lot of these like little conversations or like bits and then they cut some of them out. So they included more of them in the post credit scene. Uh-huh. And <laughs> there was one where Michael McKean's character just says, I believe virtually everything I read. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like really, that's what, it's like this whole movie tickled me. Like it just tickled me throughout. Yeah, I really, really loved it. Well, that's one of the most exceptional examples of the genre spoof, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, James selected something that's a lot more typical, I think, and like the uh, like central, like if you're going to watch genre spoofs, you have to talk about Zaz. And about Naked Gun. Yeah, and I I was wrestling with, like, which Naked Gun movie to talk about, because I like them all, even the third one, which is objectively bad. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but I picked the sequel, The Smell of Fear, Naked Gun 2, two and a half. Two and a, two and a half, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and again, we're following Frank Drebin, played by Leslie Nielsen, who, and like we were talking about earlier with plots, it's a pretty generic plot where... This Dr. Meinheimer is going to give a a speech about his energy policy, and there's a conspiracy by these big oil and nuclear tycoons to replace him with a doppelganger <laughs> because they don't because they don't want him to push green energy. And <laughs> Leslie, Neal, you know, Frank Drebin has to like uncover the plot and also like get back with Jane. I want to I stop there for a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Zaz, like, the two brothers, the two Zucker brothers that split in half were, be- were for politics. a politic thing. Like, one yeah. of them became super hard right, and one of them, like, stayed, like, pretty mid-liberal. Hmm. And this what, movie has a pretty leftist, like, yeah, and I like point it. of view. Yeah. And, and actually, the first one, if I think about it, like, also has a pretty political bent. Like, it's always, it's punching up to like those in power and this one especially is like very left green energy policy and, and like, like corporate interest stopping like actual pro- progress from happening on that like legislative level Well, and there's a funny gag and i actually had to remind myself I had to look at the wikipedia but th- there's a scene where they go to this really depressing blue note bar and there's a scene like pictures of tragedies on the yeah. wall and like the Titanic, one, yeah, the Titanic and <laughs> like the Hindenburg, and then there's a just a picture of Michael Dukakis. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's right, he was like a Democratic candidate who like totally lost the nomination because of a that is a of, dated gag, yeah, a series of gaffes, and like that felt so dated. Like no <laughs> one thinks about Michael Dukakis in 2022. But anyway, I I picked this movie because it was a big film for me growing up just for whatever reason i watched this one more than i watched the first one and i think on a joke for joke level maybe the first one has more hits but this one in particular gave me the most like hysterical belly laughs of any of these kind of even like airplane another zazz movie another zazz but even like the mel brooks stuff there's a few scenes in this one that like are just like so foundational to what I consider 
funny. <laughs> and like watching it again, I was like, okay, there's part of my brain that's like objectively, okay, it lags in the middle. The some of the jokes aren't quite landing like I remember. But holy shit, there's a scene where like he's again at this blue note bar and he's <laughs> he's with Jane and he asks the piano player like he's like play play our song. <laughs> there's like a pause. He's like, ding dong, the witch is red, the witch is red. It's like, he's like, no, not that one. No, the not other the one. Other, the other one. The other one. It just like breaks me every single time. And I, we watched it again the other night and I just, we had to pause it because I just couldn't stop. One of my stop. favorite gags was also in that scene where um, he's by himself before he notices that Jane's there. I mean, he orders a drink and he says, make it a strong one. Um, and, you know, they bring out this like muscle builder, like bodybuilder uh-huh. guy. It's like, oh, how that's kind of funny. And he goes, never mind. Just bring me a black Russian. And the waiter <laughs> looks at the camera and he's like, we're not doing that. <laughs> that was very funny to me. Yeah. So it's like a standard mixture of like the zaniness, also the visual gags. Like there's a recurring one where with extra limbs where she'll go to slap him and he catches both hands <laughs> and then a third one just pops up. Or they do a spoof of Ghost where they're... um doing pottery so and they're um ex- they're they're doing it with their hands in the same way that patrick swayze is like so the, cuddling yeah. the actress and then their feet, <laughs> their feet. enter the frame <laughs> so it's impossible physics the other zucker brother directed ghosts what yes i didn't know that. i learned that last night i was like what how is that not a robert zemeckis movie that feels like pure zemeckis to me so apparently like whenever like ghosts came out because ghosts came out like a little bit before this movie well not a little bit, but who's what's the name of the Zucker that directed this one? Do y'all remember? Uh, one of the Zuckers. One, one of the, Zuc- the, the Zucker, <laughs> the Naked Gun Zucker was like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally gonna spoof that in the, the next Naked Gun movie. Like, oh, so he kind of so like funny. had his eyes on that scene because it's it is a ridiculous scene, even though it's like romantic, uh, but it's it's very okay. funny. So but, um, yeah. yeah, but I do think like watching this again, what makes it stand out is Leslie Nielsen. Mm-hmm. He is just like, so he just does it for me. Like I find him effortlessly so funny guy. He started so as a incredible. serious actor. Yeah. yeah. Still putting in a serious performance. It's just very deadpan, uh, straightforward. God. Did deliveries. you ever watch the police squad yeah. TV show? I didn't. That's that what this was like based off, based off, of, off uh-huh. of. So I think it'd be cool. But, but his delivery, yeah. like there's a line in the beginning that also breaks me where he sees Jane, for the first time. And I think this is also spoofing a lot of melodrama, which I like. Like the strings come in in the background. It's like, again, he's playing it straight. And he's just like, I couldn't believe it was her. It was like a dream. But there she was, just as I remembered her. And a body that, <laughs> oh, that delicately beautiful face. And a body that can melt a cheese sandwich from across the room. <laughs> and breasts that seem to say, hey, look at these. <laughs> <laughs> Like his, it, on paper it's funny, but like his delivery just takes it to that like that next level. It's kind for of me. the same noir voiceover as uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And I think I just like I think the actor in Fiddle Instinct does a a good job, but it's not Leslie Nielsen. I don't yeah. just like he has that intangible quality that like. When he delivers some of these lines, he's great. It's just so freaking good. I yeah. liked um, Priscilla Presley a lot too. Yeah, yeah, she's um, very funny. That dancing scene where she like gets the olive like popped in her mouth. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, I love it so much. The o- OJ Simpson in here, yeah. like 
I forgot that he was in this movie, but all I remembered was like, does I knew he was like under a car for a long time. Takes many nut shots in that yeah. car. Yeah. It feels kind of like Justice. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, he was in the first one a lot more, and it's yeah. funny in this one, like. Which one's Anna Nicole Smith in? Is she in the, the third? third? 33, yeah. 33, 33 and a third. And a third. <laughs> but in this one, he's like, has a very small little role, and it mostly consists of him just getting in, hitting the nuts by various objects, which I, I got a, a good laugh up. out yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. I've been like very focused on like specific gags that these movies like point to as like genre markers. Mm-hmm. Like Priscilla Presley had some of the funniest ones. Like when he goes over to her apartment and she starts feeding her cats and you're like, Oh, this just feels very natural to this kind of like right. crime thriller. But then she starts feeding like goats <laughs> and things like that. And pigs. Yeah. Chickens. And then she reaches like deep into her fridge and gets lost in there. And she has to, he has to like pull her back yes. out. When she's like making a smoothie and she's putting bizarre like things meats. in the blender and yeah. meats. Yeah. And, yeah. Which feels very, like, well-observed in the way that I've been looking for in all these movies, where it's like, oh, you don't really notice how far it's going at first, because it just feels, like, natural Mm -hmm. that that character would be doing that in that moment in in the plot. Which I was like, okay, this movie, like, actually is working at the same level as these other ones, where it's very funny. But I feel like the difference between these Zazz movies and, like, all the other spoofs we're talking about Mm -hmm. is, like, just the non-stop need to cram as many gags as possible into every second of the film. And I feel like where this gets like sublimely funny more so than the other ones is like, even in the background, yeah, yeah. like it almost feels like they should have won like an Oscar for like production design or something. Cause like every set has built in background gags that are not like the main joke right. of the plot, but like the, uh, chalk outlines yeah, of yeah that's exactly yeah and they're like they have some in the foreground that are obvious but then like as leslie nielsen is walking around the office like you'll just see a chalk outline of like a leg right. you know it's <laughs> a bomb went <laughs> it's just, off like, bo- yeah. yeah just body parts all over <laughs> the place yeah it's like every part of the frame is used to tell a joke yeah i'm also thinking of in the police station they're arguing with the police chief and like they're getting very passionately into it and there's a lot of gags in their argument but also in the backdrop um in the tempered glass that like yeah. hides the mm-hmm. background there's a woman showering in silhouette yeah which is like an impossible like extra joke mm-hmm. added on top of the like main jokes in the forefront yeah and i just found it very uh-huh. like artfully crammed to the gills with like every joke possible at every frame. I think that's what makes this like such a high energy movie too. Like even in scenes where like no one's like talking, like there's constantly shit happening or there's always something to look at and laugh at the whole time. And I think it's also different too. And, you know, kind of like we were talking about Judd Apatow kind of movie where like you go back and you just want to hear those funny lines again, but there's not a lot of, like physical visual stuff happening. And these movies have a lot of repeat or like rewatch value where like you Mm -hmm. can watch airplane or naked gun a couple times and you you always catch like different stuff. Like I caught visual jokes in this that I'd, I've seen this movie like six or seven times. And I, I think the other thing that makes it stand out is the writing. I feel like on paper, the lines are funny. And then when you give them to Leslie Nielsen, I don't know. It takes yeah. it to another level. Even like just the way that he looks around when he's done something stupid 
but he, nobody has noticed yet. He just kind of like does the side eye around the room and like <laughs> like when there's the scene where um Professor Meidenheimer is like like strapped to a chair and Leslie Nielsen is trying to get out of his restraints and he's like breaking his ties against this like kind of metal cabinet and stuff keeps falling on <laughs> Professor Meinheimer. He's like an and like like uh, billiard balls and then an anvil and then a bunch of oil and then packing peanuts and then the police officers break and they're like oh my god look what they've done to him and Leslie Nielsen is just like oh. Oh god! And then he's like picks up a bowl, like a bowling pin that fell on him, and he like tosses it away. What kind of humor is that? Like whenever people are getting injured, just like slapstick, slapstick, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like in the beginning, I thought that was so funny, but like the Barbara Bush, yeah, shit in the beginning is so funny, and just him like (laughs) eating this huge crab leg. There's like slurping stuff everywhere, but yeah, yeah, I think that like. I I think that comparison in that kind of that noir opening scene that you were talking about, mm-hmm. James, um, with Fatal Instinct, like they do have kind of a similar joke, but I really like how it's written in mm-hmm. Naked Gun, like just like and breast that said, "Hey, look at these!" It's like <laughs> and, and, like what? And then the next line is like, "Yeah, she reminded me of my mother, all right." Yes. Like, what? It yeah. just keeps- <laughs> Like it keeps- and, then, and then it's part of because of he's like, right. stop looking at her like she's your mother. <laughs> yeah, like it's like you see the joke and then it kind of gets like turned in a different direction and then yes. it's turned in an, and you're like, you just like can't keep track of it. Oh, also, what's it called? Like an airplane is a good example where it's like, surely you can't be serious. I am serious and don't call me. Yeah, Shirley. it's, it's these not like wordplay. little yeah, wordplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but like. Like in this one, there's so many good examples of that. Like, I think at one point he's like, Why would Savage hang out in this place? And they're in like a sex shop. And his partner is like, Sex, Frank? He's like, No, not right now. We have work to do. No, thank you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, yeah. thank you. We have work to These, do. These like, li- like, yeah, those like little like wordplay miscommunications. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I don't feel like some of these other ones really have that quite as. This is like a central part yeah. to the Zazz. Right. Yeah. That's style. definitely their thing at the same time though i feel like i took this one the most granted Mm. where it's like this is just what the genre is to me Mm -hmm. so maybe it was just because i grew up on zazz movies in particular but like this is like the baseline what the genre is yeah and i'm watching i'm like yep that's that's a spoof yeah where like uh the jokes made me laugh but at the same time i didn't really feel like it transcended what the genre is in any way at least the way i felt about it was like with spinal tap it transcended in that like it very accurately made fun of this thing, but also had like humanistic qualities where I like felt like these were actually real people and characters and naked gun does not feel like that. It's a joke delivery machine from the get go. And again, to me like that feels like a genre that's kind of dead that i would like to come back but and like you said hana like barb and star and some modern comedies are like kind of getting back into that swing and i would just like to see that trainer grass i don't know if y'all saw that oh one. yeah yeah, it's very yeah in the same it way. is but yeah but it's like kind of some it's like the tim and eric influence coming yeah. in to which i don't know if anyone has the taste for like straight up spoof at this point but yeah i i agree it's like 
the template for this style of thing. And this movie did it pretty well. Well, the most recent movie was from 2009. (laughs) And I feel like does a pretty good job of being a spoof. I cannot believe this movie was that late. Like you and I were living together by late 2009. Mm -hmm. And it was around the time we were watching a lot of black exploitation films. Uh, This movie, Black Dynamite, is a black exploitation spoof. And like I said, I've been like looking at these movies for very well observed just tropes and just like things that you would only pick up on if you watched tons and tons of the movies in that genre. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Black Dynamite is the most accurate black exploitation spoof. It has a lot of competition in the genre, but like it happens to touch on every single one of the movies we were watching around that time. Like yeah. whatever movies I was fishing out of the Walmart bargain bin are all spoofed directly in this film. And I honestly think it has a heart to it the way that Spinal Tap does as well, because it was shot in 20 days on 16 millimeter (laughs) film by like a small production crew and has like earned over the years, like this like cult cred uh, for being like one of the funniest, like recent comedies. And it, you could tell it was made with love Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the genre. Yeah. Not so much like mocking it. It's like, no, we earnestly love black exploitation films. And in some way, it just felt like a straight up yeah, black exploitation film. Yeah. I did not know when this was released when I watched it. And when James <laughs> told me it was from 2009, I did not believe him. You thought it was from the 70s? Or yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it does splice in actual footage from 70s B pictures mixed in with its like 60 millimeter footage from yeah. the 2000s. And I think that move was smart to not film it on digital because you watch a lot of like, think of like, Rob Zombie stuff or like yeah. X recently mm-hmm. um, Hobo with a Shotgun there's a lot of like Grindhouse style throwbacks that I don't feel like feel as authentic as this one does yeah. this actually feels like a product of, of well, that era and the fact that they throw in like the technical screw ups where you see the boom mic yeah. like they get it because yeah. we watch so many of those where you, even in like films that were trying to be taken seriously like yeah, you can see the sound guy or, you know. So that was my fa- that was one of my favorite aspects of this movie because there are a lot of spoof films that do that, that call attention to the fact that you're watching a movie. Like in Robin Hood Men in Tights, there's that scene in the beginning where the camera like breaks through Maid Marian's window and the glass shatters. And then Fatal Instinct had one too where like the camera like runs in into yard. a tree. Yeah. yeah. But the instances here i i feel like it was calling back to what james was saying like the actual realities of the production values and then they ranged from like subtle to not subtle like i felt like the boom mic it wasn't like this super overt it was you could just kind of see it in the frame and then black dynamite's like looking up at it and then there's a scene in the donut shop where they're like they have the car uh, or these guys pull up in a car and they're like shooting at Black Dynamite and it just like the car keeps going forward. That was actually not planned. Really? And they actually <laughs> forgot to put the parking on the car. Oh, and that is a product of the movie being shot in 20 right. days with okay, like no budget. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, I okay, well that was I was going to say, yeah, wow, attention to detail, <laughs> no, but, but it's no, it's accurate that, because yeah. it is filmed with the same production right. values That's as the original so product. That's the attitude if you were making a black switch, it's like, dude, we don't have the right. time to we shoot gotta, this. We, we just got to work it. it in there. But yeah, but also like the the guys reading their their liner notes as Oh yeah, like the stage directions. <laughs> right. Sarcastically. 
Yeah. And then Michael Jai White, who is like the main creative thrust of this and he plays Black Dynamite in the film. Great. He came up with this idea because he was having movie nights at his house, inviting people over to watch movies like The Mac or like any Dolomite movie you can name, like Human Tornado or, mm-hmm. you know, Petey Avenging Disco Godfather, <laughs> Pete Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law. Uh, he was like <laughs> screening these movies for friends and, yeah. you know, basically doing what we were doing around that same time, being like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, there's like a trope through line through all these movies that really connects them. And this movie just kind of collects them like an encyclopedia. Like, yeah. He plays a Fred Williamson style action star, like a former NFL player who's like actually physically talented as like a martial artist. Um, And he also casts uh, (laughs) this other comedian as a Dolomite type who uh, raps his yeah. lines and sometimes like can't complete the rhymes <laughs> of the couplets. Um, so it, it does both because usually it would be like one or the other as like the main star of the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolomite, the Rudy Ray Moore character, um, awful martial artist. Like yeah. if you watch his stuff, he's very like slow motion, like punches somebody. And then a second later, the stunt actor will like react and like jump into the trunk of a car or like onto the right. concrete. Uh, Michael J. White is actually like fucking amazing. It was awesome <laughs> watching him. Yeah. <laughs> he like jumps to the air and does like double kicks and like punches someone while he's kicking someone else in the face halfway amazing. across the screen. And I feel like you feel that enthusiasm and love from him like through this I would describe the plot eventually as a combination of Disco Godfather, which is about PCP sales within the uh, black community um, that Dolomite is trying to stop. I'm sorry, Black Dynamite is trying to stop. And then um, also Three the Hard Way, which is a Fred Williamson movie where um, white government officials are poisoning the water with a poison that only affects black men. Mm -hmm. Um, In this movie, they instead poison malt liquor, um, anaconda malt liquor to be specific. Anaconda gives you, oh! Yes. So they're both spoofing through the hard way and spoofing um, the Colt 45 ads with Billy D. Williams. Uh Um, In this case, the anaconda malt liquor shrinks your dick. And it is a um, way for honkies to get their revenge on their like black sexual Fa- competitors. Favorite scene in the movie is that conspiracy <laughs> theory layout. Oh my god! Yeah, where they like draw on a chalkboard in a cafe. And, yeah, like, they get a, a roundabout way through discussing the Greek myths. mythology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very absurd. I don't know that plot really matters in this, but like it really is just like a collection of tropes and images and character archetypes and specific gags yeah. from like every black exploitation movie I've ever seen. And I don't know. I came into this like kind of tepid, like I really loved this movie back in 2009. I'm a little afraid to like revisit it. Is it as funny as I remembered? And I still came out like loving it more than anything else we watched today. <laughs> uh, I don't expect y'all to match that enthusiasm, but I, I hope y'all enjoyed black dynamite. I really liked it. Like, I don't think I found it as funny as some of the other ones we watched. And I kind of think the reason for it is it felt like a black exploitation movie more so than like a, sp- there were spoofy moments in it, but it, at its core, it really felt like just another black exploitation movie in a good way. It's basically the Mac, but turned to 11. Exactly. <laughs> 11. Um, but there, the one part that made me laugh so much is very early on. 
And I hate that it made me laugh, but he just like basically had a three, a foursome. Oh, yeah. And then as he's leaving, he's like, be quiet. You're going to wake up the other bitches. And there's like three <laughs> other girls like just yeah. hanging on the side of his bed. I thought that was so funny. I think that like talks to the uh, same thing that y'all were saying about the boom mic being in camera <laughs> mm-hmm. on purpose. It's also offensive on purpose. Like he tells us yes. like really long monologue about fighting in Vietnam. And he keeps right. talking about this like little china boy that he like yeah. accidentally killed in china and, and he had uh, no legs and his little knees <laughs> they kept falling over because of his little knees and i realized that at the time that kind of like ironic racism was like more yeah. of a like standard yeah. in comedy but it has translated pretty well here where like it's specifically making fun of the racism of these like black marketed right. films. Exactly. It's being fun of like the racism and the, the overt sexism. sexism, which is why I found it funny, but it still felt weird laughing because yeah. I'm like, oh no. And it's like, <laughs> no, Brittany, no one's watching you. You're in your room. Like, okay. A- another good laugh of that is uh, when he like loses his temper and yells at one of the uh, ladies oh, at Queen Bee's house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, just God. like, it's fucking terrifying him yelling at this woman (laughs) everyone stops cold because yeah he's like going on this long like rhyme scheme and then she comes in and finishes it for him he's like euphoria shut the fuck up i knew that was you i didn't even have to look (laughs) and everybody's just like quiet yeah Yeah. it undercuts how cool he is uh by making him like very overtly sexist and racist on top of all the other things he does Um, yeah i think it's pretty smartly observed because those movies are fucked up. Right. <laughs> they yeah. have like values from 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. But I, I think too, it's like what was interesting watching this is like, okay, Fatal Instinct. Yes. It's like making fun of noirs and the genres that take themselves pretty seriously. And what was funny in this, it's like spoofing a genre that never has taken, like, black exploitation has never really taken itself too too seriously and it it's like that's why it feels like it is just a like over the top black exploitation not necessarily spoofing like as a spoof how do you spoof a genre that had more ridiculous plots than even this did and more ridiculous i think people found them genuinely cool at the time and especially like when it's like spoofing the like running scenes from um sweet sweetback or something like that Uh like there's like an experimental filmmaking style that it's spoofing here where it, it really did feel like people were like just trying new stuff with this like low budget end of like filmmaking. Yeah. I, I feel like it's like replicating that stuff, but like kind of pointing out how ridiculous and over top it was. Yeah, there's one scene where I think Black Dynamite's chasing Chicago wind in this car scene. There are these like hard cuts to the and like so it's hard cutting from the like first person passenger to black diamond and chicago wind in the front of the cars and then zooming out to their car chase and it's like they're actually barely moving when you track all of the like distant shots i don't know just the the cutting feels experimental and there are people like tarantino who use that pastiche like filming style genuinely and like this is what's cool about low budget movies from the past i'm gonna genuinely copy that over yeah and this one's doing it like comically exaggerated true yeah i agree with you generally though that there's like a goofiness to the like source material that's like kind of missing from like the police procedurals that are spoofed in naked gun or like the erotic thrillers taking uh, i guess all seriously. i was saying was like it's easier to spoof a genre that takes itself way too seriously 
But like, I don't know. I was thinking about um, My Name is Dolomite a lot during this movie because they both seem to earnestly love the black exploitation genre. And one is approaching it from like a more dramatic, straightforward angle. And this is more from a like a real celebration of the zaniness of the genre, I guess. So I I do not have a foundation in black exploitation films at all. I still really liked this movie, but the t- the two scenes that made me laugh the hardest I don't know. I feel like they they don't actually have that root that you're talking about. I just thought they were extremely funny. Um, I like the part where Black Dolomite is on the date with his lady, and they're like he's just chucking bread at the ducks uh, <laughs> and then my favorite gag was the chili and donuts shop oh. Like, oh yeah yeah and uh and just i don't know just like she walks in and she's like can i get some hot sauce for my donut and then there's like a shootout at the chili and donut shop and then the shop owner's like well chili and donuts wasn't working out for me no how and then later okay. he puts together chicken and chicken waffles, and waffles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so i don't know i think my constant for most of these films has just been like, what is the dumbest thing that made me laugh? And honestly, the biggest laugh for me here had nothing to do with black exploitation either. It was like when they were listing off all the different gangsters at the big pimp meeting. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Captain Kangaroo Pimp. Yeah. <laughs> drug dealers and like reprobates. It's just absurdist humor. So like, yeah, yeah. that's pretty universal. You know, I kept, just the genre in general, I'm like, what is the difference between like a spoof and a parody? Like, are they the same? I like, think, do we think of them the same? I think spoof is when you're sort of broadly talking about a genre and like tropes and things yeah. like that. They're very common between different titles. I think parody is like specific references. Like a scary movie or like a direct parody of something. Naked Gun 2 and a half is a spoof of the detective procedural. Yeah. But the scene, the scene where they send up the pottery class. That's the parody. Moment of Ghost, that is a parody. Yeah, I know. I was like thinking of that too. So like I feel like this was kind of like that too. It's like a, a spoof of like the essence of black exploitation mm-hmm. with like parodies sprinkled in that mimic exact moments yeah. in like actual movies. Yeah. F- Fatal Instinct though is very much parodied. Yeah. Right? It's a collection well, it's still- of miniature parodies. Yeah. 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 But it's yeah. still a spoof overall. Yeah. Spoof overall the genre. But like but there's more parody yeah. elements. Right. Very specific references. Yeah. yeah. Like so Fatal Instinct, Naked Gun, kind of all these movies, maybe not so much Spinal Tap, but it's like the eggshell. Let's think of an egg, a raw egg mm, came I'm out of a chicken's of ass. Like the shell <laughs> is the spoof. Cloaca. And the yolk is the parody Wait, in so the spoof so of the what egg. Is, by our definition that we're coming to, like Spinal Tap, is, is that more spoof or... Parody. I don't know. It's very specific to that Led Zeppelin movie, to my yeah. Eye. That, that, <laughs> yeah. Those elements feel very much like a parody. Yeah, correct. But it's, it yeah, is so. Then it is like a spoof of overall like the rock genre, but then like parodying exact moments yeah. from this Led Zeppelin. Yeah, movie. But I guess it the, does have some Beatles stuff in there too. Oh yeah. So yes. it yeah it is. I think it's a sp- but, it, but a lot of it is parody. But I think where the genre went wrong it's like the scary movie stuff is a hundred percent parody it's just a list of references 
Yeah, that's not even really spoofing that genre in general. It's like, no, literally, we're going to do the same gag from the movie. Ah, isn't that funny that yeah. we did what you saw in the movie? But it's funny to me because, like, Black Dynamite does that exact thing, but it somehow transcends being, like, limited by that. I don't know. It, it feels like, to me, I could almost scene by scene tell you exactly which movie those parodies come from, you know? But Black Dynamite feel... I think it also has to do with intention. Where Scary Movie 5 or whatever, it feels lazy. Hey, remember this? Remember that? Hey, remember right. this? Yeah. But Black Dynamite feels like, no, I love- It's fucking great. <laughs> I love these movies. Yeah, right. and I want to like celebrate them. And you can just feel the intent, the different in intent. It's like, let me poke fun at the stuff that I know is ridiculous about the thing that I love a lot. Like, that's how it felt. Well, and also, you know, I feel like you do know, you know, you can go through scene by scene, but I didn't know really any of those references, but I still got what it was. And it, I didn't feel like, oh, I'm missing something. I'm not in on the I don't know. Right. But with Scary Movie, I feel like if there are movies that I haven't seen that they're referencing, I'm aware that I haven't seen something. Yeah. I guess too, and I hate to bring it back to this because I feel like I'm stuck on something because I'm trying to work it out of my head, but like... (laughs) With Black Dynamite, it's like, are you trying to make the best movie you can with the resources that you have? And like, that's what bothered me about Inland Empire and Twin Peaks: The Return. Oh my god! <laughs> like, ah, right back. Is he, is he trying to make the best movie he can with the resources he has, or is he like making abusing like, the resources he, he has, like, punching yeah. below his resource level? You but know I, what I'm saying? Like, okay, with him, I feel like he worked in the studio system for a while. It sure. sucks. And now he's like, I'm going to make the weird shit I want to make. Like the Soderbergh approach, where it's like, uh, you're you're deliberately making low budget things. But it's like, he could have made a better looking movie than that. (laughs) But maybe. But why why did he make that choice? It's more of a gray area. Well, I don't know. Like when we watched um, Bamboozled recently, like the Spike Lee, like it was shot on that horrible digital. Yeah. Like why Spike Lee? Like why did you make this decision? I think there was something going on with filmmakers in that time period where they wanted to experiment with like shitty looking digital stuff. And I don't know, like it hasn't aged well. I have like an affection for people making interesting cinema with those like DIY like resources and like breaking through the distribution blockades of that kind of like democratized filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get frustrated when like millionaires do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you have the money to do a real thing. What are you doing with your like resources and time? But there are exceptions. Like I, I am like kind of amused by how Soderbergh like descales his work yeah. to like get away with as much as he can. So yeah, I, hope I this, don't know. This podcast just becomes a ground for you to process your. <laughs> I don't know what the answer feelings. is. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know we'll what's right. I don't know what's wrong. But I get what you're saying. There's yeah. an authenticity to Black Dynamite's meager resources that feels yeah. in line and like in sync with the very things it's like sending up. Uh, that yeah. I, I really like warmed my heart to it. And I'm not exaggerating when I say it's like my favorite movie we watched today. Yeah. Um, the closest I got to like usurping it was uh, This is Spinal Tap, which is pretty much well recognized as like one of the great comedies. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I think I'd like have a really just basic way to think about comedies. It's like I just judge them on how much, how much laugh? I laugh. Yeah. yeah. Seems pretty easy. And like as much as I love black exploitation, I love Black Dynamite's heart. This is Spinal Tap made me laugh the most. And Naked Gun is probably a close second. Even though I recognize that like 
the jokes in Naked Gun don't really land as much as I thought they did, but when they land, they like really land. And I think that's another way to kind of judge. So I don't know. I guess that's the shortcoming of ever talking about comedy on a podcast. Yeah, it's hard. What is there to say other than like, oh, I thought the jokes were funny or I didn't? Because it's very like a visceral reaction. Yeah. But no, I think like Brittany's (laughs) choice with the spoof, it's an interesting conversation about spoof and parody and, you know, intent. This is just a good conversation of spoofs and goofs. Yeah. (laughs) Spoofs and goofs. Spoofs and goofs. It definitely feels like a dead art form. I don't know that anything's really taken over. This made me want to revisit the scare movie franchise just because like the first two that came out i remember thinking they were funny and then the other ones i didn't and i don't know if it's because i was in that like i'm too cool for this mindset and now i'm like i don't i'm not cool at all like nothing's above me so i kind of want to like check like maybe there's one buried in there that is actually funny that i've glossed over I will say, I I remember seeing, I think, Scary Movie 4, and I was, like, ready to like it yeah. in theaters, and I did not like it. <laughs> I, I did not feel like I'm too cool. Like, at that point, I feel like they were still cool. Yeah. And I was like, this this isn't great. Okay. So, but yeah, I would be interested. I know that people love the first two. That's the only two I've really seen. Yeah. But I haven't seen mm. the others, and there's, like, what, 20? Well, I can't say I'm especially eager to return to this genre <laughs> like yeah i'm very eager i mean we could do like <laughs> top secret and kentucky fried movie there's other stuff we could talk about police academy hot shots. hot shots hot shots hot shots part deux. Oh. <laughs> i was wrestling i think pop star was my other choice of almost one oh yeah pop star is very funny yeah oh that's a good that is modern that's pretty choice. recent yeah. Yeah. yeah i guess lonely island does some pretty good yeah. genre spoofs so yeah. maybe it's not dead okay andy samberg is the last like bastion of like spoof uh love next week on the show um is gonna be the 50th lanyap episode whoa we are celebrating by returning to a discussion we've done three times now on that (laughs) spinoff podcast we once talked about cube and then we talked about Cube 2, Hypercube, and Cube 0. And now we're talking about the Japanese remake of Cube. God. So this is our Jesus. third entry into the Cube series. Cube Cubed. Yeah, this is Cube Cubed. Wow, that Amazing. will be the fourth Cube. You yes. T- wow. I'm so confused, cube, but I'm very cube, excited cube for you. Power. I'm not cube smart enough cubed? to do math for that. Is that right? Yeah, sure. That's what Hannah said 20 seconds ago. So <laughs> no, that I know. Right. Uh, well, I said cube. It would be the third. Cube, cube. No, but they talked about two cube movies. I did call one. that episode cube, cubed because it was but oh. cube movies in. Cube. Oh. No, but that would be cube to the third, which wouldn't be cubed. Yes, it is. That's cube to the third is cube, cubed. I agree. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> what we've discovered here is that we are not smart about math. Oh, no. So we have no right to talk about cube movies this often because they're all math-based horror films. Um, so look forward to that conversation. <laughs> the, the horror of math. Uh, I've also reviewed Pleasure and Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. And I'm sure by the time you hear this, movies that have played an Overlook Film Festival, which is Woo. where all of my effort is going into over the next week. So if you are interested in anything that's playing at Overlook, like the new Peter Strickland movie, by mm-hmm. any chance, anybody? Huh? Is that this Friday or next Friday? Uh, this Friday and probably a okay. couple of the shows. This is going to sound dumb. Can I just like go to see that one movie? Or do you yeah. Have to- yeah. Okay. You can just get a ticket. Standalone tickets. I was thinking about doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
we can also plan this off mic if y'all want. Yeah. Sick. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, you don't want to dedicate airtime to this planet? <laughs> to making social plans? I think they want to understand that. I think Mr. Hot Dog Boy's curious. <laughs> uh, check out swaplex.com. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.